We are uh, uh, in the, about the third of the way through uh, Matthew chapter 6, but we'll um, probably finish the chapter today. And, you know, as I've been studying this, I don't know, did I tell you at the beginning of the class, is this my fourth time teaching through Matthew in my ministry? Fourth or fifth, I think. Um, uh, 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 I, since the last time I taught it, I've made a discovery about this chapter that I didn't have before. That's kind of cool. And that is um, understanding, as, as you really kind of need to, as you get into the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 6, 7, and 8, that this is, in part, a sermon for Jesus' disciples, a, kind of a limited number of individuals at this time. This is also... Uh, a warning about the Pharisees and some of their false teachings. If you understand that, especially in this section, in this chapter, then what used to seem to me and to others as a scattergun, you know, just a series, they're almost like disconnected proverbs in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. All of a sudden, everything is tied together um, and really neatly, effectively, and tightly tied together like a bunch of sunfish on a stringer. So there you go. There's our illustration. Um, and, uh, uh, and it works very, very neatly and very, very well. So we'll move into there. Um, by the way, I have Band-Aids on my arm. Tell me if they start coming off and you start seeing gross things on my arm. So, okay. I don't know. Every once in a while, I get a double pair of bites on my arm. I don't know if there's a vampire in my house or if it's uh, spiders or if it's what it is. They're big, wealthy kind of bites. I'm not sure what it is. I assume it's a vampire, but uh, it's biting my arm, but I don't know what it is. And uh, anyway, now you've heard my Bella Lugosi imitation. Let's go into verse 14. Matthew 6, 14. In, is that where we are? Can you see it? Okay. Indeed. And coming off of the sermon on the, uh, of the Lord's Prayer, rather, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus now says, indeed, if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is speaking to ordinary believers, but also to the Pharisees. And I think at this point, this is more of uh, Jesus turning to the Pharisees, who maybe were not forgiving. And it, it's, who among us doesn't have somebody they kind of hold a grudge against for that one thing years and years ago, or whatever it was, that you're, you continue to be mad about uh, down the road. Um, there is, um, I actually can think of two individuals uh, just with regard to ministry who were probably on the road to excommunication in this congregation in, in, the, in the past several years. And rather than try to even allow us to confront them about their sin, they just left. You know, oh, well, I quit. I'm, I'll, you know, I'll just join a different church or something like that. And you just get angry about that. I'll just admit that. 
you know, I, I, I'm trying to do gospel ministry with you to do what God intends, and you just run away like a coward. You know, it, it's, uh, it's frustrating. It really is. Um, and, uh, but finally, you just have to let go of that. But, but, and it's, it can be difficult if that's something in your family um, or, or whomever it is. Uh, there are children who were abandoned and hold grudges against those parents down the road. If there are people who have served in the military who have seen horrors, and how do you let go of, some, of something like that? And other things, um, other hideous, terrible things. My, I was telling my sons, uh, we were comparing uh, uh, disasters that different people have been. And I reminded them that before I was born, my family was rear-ended by a drunk driver. Um, and this is in the days of a 1958 Chevy Impala. So glass, glass in the windshield. You know, not today's auto glass, but glass, glass. My brother went through the glass and landed on the highway ahead of the car, on, you know, bump on his diaper, and just sat there. Mom said he just started picking up stones and looking at them, you know, hardly affected at all. But he was probably uh, a little younger than Abigail is now, you know. How old is Abby? Is she... She'll be too. He wasn't too yet, my brother, when he when they when they got, and the, I think the drunk driver died, and then my family is is all living. But he was, you know, and and uh, just a hideous, terrible accident to happen to them. Um, and Jesus says, if you don't forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Well, we're going to talk about the um, yeah the parable of the unmerciful servant, but that's in chapter eighteen. And we're gonna, I'm going to let that go until that time, when, when we get to 18. It'll be later this summer. Um, but, but for the moment, just remembering that we do want to forgive. And Luther, the more I read of Luther, the more I, I, I just keep thinking, what a, what, what a better pastor than me, than I'll ever be, he was. Because Luther turns this thing from this almost command in my mind. You know, you got to forgive. Luther turns this into gospel comfort. So instead of focusing on you gotta, Luther focuses on look what the Lord's done for you. Um, and I'll just read that to you. If therefore you do not forgive, then do not think that God forgives you. But if you forgive, you have this consolation and assurance that you are forgiven in heaven. Not on account of your forgiving, for God forgives freely and without condition, out of pure grace, because he has so promised. Marvelous words. Um, what, a, what a great and wonderful forgiving God we have. Um, I think about that as uh, at night, as I'm saying my, uh, my evening prayers, and I've over the years begun to include more and more often the Apostles' Creed. And those last three article or uh, 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 last three sentences of the third article um, what are the great blessings we have through God the Holy Spirit we have the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting um, just to meditate on those and ponder those is the work of a lifetime that's the whole 
goal of the Christian are those three things in one. Um, marvelous, marvelous stuff. Let's go on to fasting. Um, I fast whenever the doctor tells me to. Uh, and I hate every minute of it. <laughs> uh, usually aren't those, though, are they, uh, in my experience, 12-hour fasts? Like you're going you're gonna to have blood work done in the morning and so the doctor will say nothing but water after supper or whatever it is, you know, that kind of a thing. And I, you can kind of, I guess, I guess you can make it through, you know, that. Um, what kind of fasting is Jesus probably talking about here when you fast? Well, let me ask, do any of you fast apart from when the doctor tells you to? No. <laughs> are any of you thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, the um, uh, Muslims fast for Ramadan and uh, uh, one of uh, the morning class told me today that they had read a statistic that most Muslims eat more during Ramadan than the other months of the year because a Muslim only fasts during daylight. So he, they, they, they feast at night. You know, during the daytime you just have water, but you, but you feast at night. Um, I, I don't know about that, but it was shared this morning in the class. I uh, don't know what a Muslim would do in above the Arctic Circle where nighttime is six months. You know, daytime is six months and so forth. I had, in, in the first, I, I've, I've had three moments in my life where I almost joined the Navy. Uh, three. Two were in the ministry and one was before. And uh, the, the one, uh, 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 the, the, the earlier one was, uh, I had just taken the, the, uh, the, the, the exam you take instead of taking the SAT is the uh, ASVAB the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. I remember the name. Yeah, that's probably the way they wanted me. It was my amazing memory. But, uh, but um, they, we got contacted at my high school. They were looking for guys to, uh, who were thinking about joining the Navy to man the naval outpost in a place called Point Barrow, Alaska. Not even Barrow, Alaska, which is the furthest north city of America, Point Barrow is north of that. Okay? Uh, uh, yeah, that's like the, uh, yeah, like from, like from here to, say, Fairfax, Point Barrow is, a, and you walk, you know, to get up to Point Barrow. It's right on the shore of the Arctic Ocean. Um, and uh, we were told, this is in the early 1980s, 81, 82, when I was, in, I was a senior in high school. And we were told that the attrition rate was... They only have two guys manning the post every year and three out of four civilians die doing it. So you think about that math, okay? Three quarters die and they only send two guys up there. So that's, those aren't good odds for you. But my friend Charlie and I, Charlie was the one really trying to get me to go. Um, and uh, Charlie uh, reasoned that because neither of us drank alcohol, that, that's the real killer is, is booze because guys get drunk and they do stupid things. And since we didn't drink, 
we, Charlie reasoned, we wouldn't do stupid things. And I looked at my friend. We had been friends since we were three years old. And I said, you're trying to tell me that you're not going to do stupid things? I knew my friend better than that. I knew that he would do stupid things, even without alcohol, he would do stupid things. And what I was afraid of is if he got himself killed, he might get me killed too. So that was the end of that. We didn't end up going, but uh, yeah. But uh, uh, how did I get onto that? Oh, Ramadan and fasting and, 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 sorry, I apologize. Let's get on with our text. So, uh, yeah, so whenever you do fast, do not make yourself look sad like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to show everyone that they are fasting. Amen, I tell you, they have received their reward. What reward is that? Exactly, it's the pat on the back. Yeah. Um, so, but Jesus says, so when you do fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Is he telling us to do something that you have to do that to fast? No, he's just saying if you're going to fast, make it look like you're in, in an ordinary day. I suppose today Jesus would say, comb your hair and put on a clean shirt. Well, that, that's what that amounts to. Anoint your head, wash your face. So that it is not apparent to people that you are fasting, but only to your father who sees what is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So just don't make a show of it. If you're going to fast, and in, in um, early Christian times, we know from one of the church fathers who wrote just after the New Testament was finished, he, um, he told uh, uh, his readers, the Jews fast on two days during the week. And I forget what they were, but let's just say that they were, it was Tuesday and Thursday. I don't remember what it was. And he says, you know, if they feast on Tuesday and Thursday, you feast on Monday and Wednesday instead. Just pick different days. Um, but don't feel obligated to do what they're doing for their reasons. If you're going to fast, do it for your reasons and on your own days. So, okay. You know, why might somebody want to fast, apart from a diet today, why, would some, why might want somebody want to fast today? Uh-huh. Yeah. Was it that's kind of related to a diet in some way or not? Okay. I've never understood when people talk about a cleansing. I don't I don't really get what that is ever. Yeah. <laughs> I I think did you have something in Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Oh, so, okay. Okay. All right. All right. 
I think that with regard to fasting in particular, I think that one of the reasons some people do it is to focus their attention on what's coming. Like uh, some of us are, are maybe one generation or two removed from where people would fast before they would take the Lord's Supper just to focus their attention on what's coming in the Lord's Supper. My grandparents did this. Um, oh, like the, from, the, from, from the night before, you know, the, the same way you and I would fast before a blood test. Like you know, you eat supper, then nothing until Lord's Supper the next day or whatever. Yeah, that kind of thing. Just to focus the, and, and when you have a hunger pang or whatever, it just reminds you, oh yeah, this is, this is why I'm focusing on my sinfulness. And so it can be a help in that way. Moving on to treasures. Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I'm going to stop there for a second. Um, what kinds of things do moths destroy? Mostly clothing, cloth. Um, bugs also, and, and I'm just going to include worms here, also eat books. And for a guy like me where, I don't know, uh, two-thirds of my possessions are probably books. Um, that's a problem, you know, that, that because they get in and they, and they, and they eat through. Um, in some of our most ancient New Testament manuscripts, there are holes where you really wish you knew what that word was. But there's a perfectly round hole there. Why? Because a worm was hungry one day and he burrowed through that book at that place. So there's a hole there on every single page, you know, all the way back because he just worked his way through um, and went back. It's called a lacuna, by the way. There's even a theological name for that um, in a book. Um, plural, lacunae. There you go. That's enough Latin. But uh, yeah, moth destroys. What does rust destroy? Metal and other things. Um, it's actually rust that you see on plants as well. Moths destroy plants too, but rust can destroy plants. I'm thinking of my grandpa's trouble with rust. On, was it a, would it have been in his corn? Where rust was getting at, at, the, at the stalks of his corn? Or leaves or something like that? On beans maybe? That could be something like that. Um, okay. I know that Grandpa grew alfalfa and other things for because he was a dairy farmer, um, and so he he primarily but he, he grew field corn and sweet corn and then whatever he needed for silage. Um, so, but he he talked about rust um, and other things. Have I told you the story of the day my grandfather met Al Capone? Another day another day or if we have time at the end of the class period okay <laughs> store and and where thieves break in and steal how i don't know if you've ever had a thief break in i have and that's the most helpless feeling because how many hundred oh if only i would have and none of them make any sense because it's done you can't do it's your stuff is gone it's just it's gone and a uh, thief breaks in and steals and steals. What, where I got ripped off? Oh, it's been a couple times. I had a, I had a, um, 
I'll just say an, an, an enemy of mine in high school stole my gym locker. Actually undid the rivets and things and took away my gym locker with not only my clothes, but my wallet, my temporary driver's license, my class ring. I never got this stuff back. And $5 in that wallet. And uh, he, but he took the whole locker. And then I had to pay because it was my fault, according to the, to the, to the, to the, to the principal of the school that my locker was missing and I had to pay to have the locker replaced. Um, I knew who it was, but I couldn't prove it. No, no, no. See, uh, I was in my first musical. My son just did the same thing. But in the musical I was in, I had to kiss a girl and her boyfriend did not like that. And so he... Oh. Stole my gym locker. And, uh, yeah. But I got to kiss the girl, so. Alrighty. Um, yeah, thieves break in. Also on our way here, our car got a window smashed and they stole the briefcase with all of our important documents. Our marriage license, our children's birth certificates, our birth certificates, my call, um, many, many other things that had our names and all of, today it would be like your, your identity stuff. It was all gone. It was all in that one briefcase. They, the police thought because that guy thought that he was stealing a laptop, but he was just stealing a briefcase with all of our documents in it. So that got, that got taken. We, were, we only stopped for a couple of hours to get some sleep on the way here, driving on the way here, and, in the, and somebody smashed our window and grabbed that one thing. Yeah. So... There, there, I've had a couple of other incidents in my lifetime, but yes, thieves break in. Store up treasures for yourselves in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mostly when we think about treasures in heaven, what are we thinking about? Say that again. Yeah, the stuff we get in heaven, right? Salvation, forgiveness, peace, love, reunion, joy, bliss. Eating as many mashed potatoes as I want to and never gaining a single, never mind. Um, all, of, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, all of the joys that come with heaven. Are there some treasures in heaven that we enjoy here on earth also? There can be. Um... Let's start with this one. Christian spouse and children. You know, my mother-in-law has a little sign in the bathroom. Um, the only thing you can take to heaven with you are your children. You know, it's a pretty good little sign, especially in that particular household where, you know, several of the kids, uh, Kath's brothers and sisters, have wandered away from the faith. It's a reminder when they go back home, though. Because the one thing they got to do is use the bathroom. So she's got all these <laughs> wonderful Christian things and passages and things in the bathroom. But yeah, Christian spouse and children. Also, some of our treasure we want to spend for the benefit of our family. Is it, is it wrong to leave a legacy, farm, business, college education, rather than hoard it, you know, Spend it on, 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 on our children or, or our church, like an endowment or some other gift. Everybody know what an endowment is? 
This morning, some people didn't. An endowment is a pile of money. Stop me if I get too technical. An endowment is a pile of money, and the bank says it earns money. So, and out of the interest, then the church will, will take away some or most of the interest to use for projects. And if the endowment is big enough, if the endowment has enough zeros, that interest can have some serious zeros also. So when your endowment can give you, if, if your endowment is in the millions of dollars, you can end up with thirty, forty thousand $40,000 a year in a payout for insurance. Of course, when I first came to, to St. Paul's in 2001, were you on council then, Herb, back then? We had, uh, uh, I know that Deb's dad was, um, we had arguments over, the, the, over, over whether an endowment was a sin in voters and church council meetings. Because we had individuals who were on the council who thought that to have an endowment is, you know, and the argument was always the same. Well, if Jesus comes tomorrow and you had this million dollars, is he going to ask, why didn't you spend it on, you know, X, Y, and Z at the, at the moment? But what an, what an endowment does is it may allow you to have something that you can use for a long time. I mean, what does $40,000 do? That, that's most of a called worker. That, that's a teacher is what 40000 a year does. And, you know, or a budget shortfall. And, or if there's some kind of a non-insurance covered natural disaster or whatever it is, you know. If, um, you know, I don't, I don't think we're covered for meteorites and stuff like that. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'll bet there's an area in Nevada where it is. Like, oh yeah, meteorite insurance, we better have it. Um, and then um, spiritual treasures that benefit your family teach them the word of God insist that they attend worship come, come, attend worship my, one of my favorite things is when I'm in church and I'm preaching and there's a kid making noise I, I like it because it's number one, it's not mine <laughs> and number two, and number you know, and you know who used to help Kath with our kids was Nora, was your daughter, who sat with my wife to to help with the kids. Um, one of the greatest blessings Kath would talk about all the time was when Nora would sit to help with the babies. But um, but also it's the, these these little these little ones are learning to be in church. And they're going to be okay in church, you know, in a few months or a year. And then there'll be young ones in church and they'll be coming up for the children's devotions and, and stuff like that. And the first couple of times, they'll act like crazy people at the children's devotions. Like one of our teachers had a son who came up for the truck last, last winter. And he went nuts the next couple of weeks. Truck, truck, truck. I touched truck and I didn't have the truck again, you know. And, uh, and now he's figured it out. It's like, oh, the truck doesn't always show up. It's okay. Um, but, but, that, that, but he's grown, you know, and now he's going to start growing and asking real questions about his faith. And that they attend catechism class and they start coming to Bible class. And like these two, they're not here tonight, but these two seventh graders that have been coming to class all year. What a, what a cool thing that is to have had Jameis and Ezra in this class just because they like Bible class. 
you know, and, and for where they're headed. And then, what about spiritual treasure to benefit the church in the future? Not an earthly treasure, but a spiritual treasure to benefit the church in the future. Um, and here I'm thinking about some of the things that, that lay people do, but some of the things that pastors do. Um, there was a pastor named um, uh, August Pieper who wrote, he, he was working on a commentary on the book of Isaiah. This is a little over 100 years ago, in the 19-teens. So he's working on this, on this commentary on Isaiah, in German, of course. And in the, in, in the course of his study, he realized we don't really have anything good. No one's ever really writ, written anything definitive and helpful and useful on the glory of the Lord. And that phrase occurs a lot in Isaiah. And so he wrote this paper, this big paper on the glory of the Lord. What is it? What does it mean when it shows up? What's, our, what's the significance for us? How do I know if this is the glory of the Lord as opposed to the glory of God? What's the difference and so forth? That paper, which has been translated into English, I keep in a separate publication on my shelf so that when it shows up, I can reach and grab and open and be blessed by this because it's useful and it helps the church down the road. Or a correction of an erroneous mistake. Um, and, you know, if, if somebody can make a spiritual discovery. Um, Sunday, yes, Sunday? Day before yesterday. Today's Tuesday, yes. Um, I taught the first half of Jonah in Sunday morning Bible class. And as a child, I had been told more than once that the creature that swallowed John, Jonah could not have been a fish. I'm sorry, could not have been a whale. Um, why? Because in English it says fish. And so in class I said, well, you know, Jonah had never heard of Linnaeus, who's the guy who categorized all the animals into their genus phylum species and so forth. Jonah, however, even though he never read Linnaeus, Jonah had read Moses. Moses only had five categories of animals. So Moses had crawling things, domestic animals, wild animals, that's all the land animals, and two others, flyers and swimmers. And flyers includes things like bats in the text in, 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 in Leviticus. Swimmers can include things that have scales and fins or things that don't. They both fall into that category of clean or unclean swimmers, but they're nevertheless swimmers. So could a whale be the swimmer, the big fish, in Jonah? Sure. It could be a whale. It could be a big fish, like a shark or something. Or it could be a Jonah fish, some creation that God provided only for swallowing Jonah at that moment, whatever it was. But I think it's, it's, it's inappropriate to take our knowledge of, the, of our current state of scientific advance or whatever and force or shoehorn the Bible into only saying that and, and nothing more. Um, so uh, um, that, that can be a blessing for the church in the future to correct those kinds of things. Um, a continued emphasis also, um, this can come out of, out of the whole congregation um, make sure that our pastors and our professors 
have a continued emphasis on the Lutheran Reformation and on what was rediscovered in the Reformation. The true forgiveness of sins, the true means of grace. What are the six chief parts of the catechism? Class, can you all tell me the six chief parts of the catechism? Should I go table by table? I'll make it easy on you. Name one part of the catechism. I'll start back in the back. Madam. Which one? Baptism. Very good. You too. Name. Lord's Prayer. Excellent. Herb and Joanne. Ministry of the Ministry I was going to take that one myself because that's a tough one, but way to go. The commandments. The other sacrament. We said baptism. What was that, Deb? Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper. And what are we missing? Uh, the creed. The creed. Yeah. Uh, the, the focus on those six, you know, especially remember that if you know that the ministry of the keys is basically, basically the forgiveness of sins. That's the, that's, that's the focus of our, of our understanding of the word of God. Those are the basics. Those are the building blocks. Um, uh, also, sometimes somebody can make a grammatical discovery that's amazing and wonderful. Today I wrote about that. Uh, anybody have a Bible in, uh, with them? Marsha, can you get out of Matthew there and go backwards just to... No, the other way, toward the back. Uh, find me the last sentence of First Peter. So it's Hebrews, James, First, Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, Jude, Revelation. You guys all know the one, two, three, four, you're done thing at the end of the New Testament. There's one James, two Peters, three Johns. Jude has four letters, one, two, three, four. Revelation, we're done. That's how you finish the New Testament. So you got the very last verse of First Peter. Five, probably 14. Can you read it? Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. All of you who are in Christ. That preposition in draws a circle around Jesus, or really a sphere around Jesus. The grammatical discovery, I don't know who made it, but it's so vital that if you're in Jesus... You're not out of Jesus. And there is no such thing as being part way in and part way out in Greek grammar. You're either in or you're out. So those who are in Christ have all of the blessings of Christ. I put my faith in Christ. I am in his love. I am in his peace. I am in his forgiveness. I am in his everlasting life. Um, to reject Jesus is to step outside of that circle. And therefore, to reject how much of it? All of it. When Judas betrayed Jesus, he rejected all of it. So when Peter had also turned on Jesus, what did Jesus do for Peter that he could no longer do for Judas because Judas had killed himself? What did Jesus do for Peter? He called him back in. You know, let's, let's get back in here with me. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. Feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. And then in Greek, do you even like me, Peter? Ooh, that had to hurt. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you like me? Yes, feed my lambs. You know, Jesus calls him all the way back. Yeah, different word. Yeah. It's, it's one of the reasons why I tell um, couples, 
It's very easy to say I love you and still be angry. I love you too. You can say I love you and you can even slam a door. If you're angry enough, I love you too, boom. But you can't if you say I like you. I don't, how could you slam a door after you say I like you to somebody? So don't just tell your spouse I love you. Tell them I like you. I learned this from a single divorced mom and her three kids. And she would tell them every time she saw them, when they came home from school, before they went to bed at night, she would say, I like you, to her children. I thought, what an amazing gift to give a child. A child who needs to have, to, to be reinforced in what's my relationship with mom. You know, where am I in this family? I know where I am in this family because mom likes me. You know, she says I love you also, but she likes me. That's a tremendous gift to give to a child or a grandchild. Um, try it with your grandkids. I like you. Yeah. Um, and then grammatical, can I, can I tell you my grammatical discovery that fell and crashed and burned? <laughs> so I spent, ten, there, uh, uh, the, the, the Hebrew verb has seven stems okay different ways of talking about the hebrew verb different things you can do with it active passive intensive um causative and 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 reciprocal and so forth well i wrote a paper on one of these it's been confusing to students for centuries um and no one really does research into the hebrew language anymore except lutherans around the whole world um even Jews who are Hebrew scholars today don't do, they don't do research into it like this any longer. And so I took this stem and for 10 years I studied it. I pored over uh, grammars that were as old as I could find. 200-year-old, um, 250-year-old grammars, Hebrew grammars. And, and I found in our own uh, 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 synods writings different ways of applying this one verb stem. And I found, uh, just as you have in Greek, sometimes 10 or 15 or 20 uses of a particular, uh, I'll call it a Greek tense or noun case or something, I suspected that this might be true of this one verb stem. And I found 34 uses of the Hebrew P-A-L verb. And I craft, and I, Kath and I would go for walks and she would get all excited about what I told her and cool things, like exp finally explaining what Job's wife is doing when she says, curse God and die. It's one of these. And because th sometimes the P-A-L verb is inversive and it flips the meaning on its head and stuff and cool stuff like that. And then when, 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 when she finally read the paper as I was writing it, she, I just saw her, saw her shoulders just, oh. This is so dry and so boring. Are you, it, it sounds so exciting when you're talking about it, but this is just a blah paper. So I, and then I, a colleague of mine said the same thing. And uh, uh, my, my buddy who was up in Fairfax. And so I, re, I recrafted this and reworked it and rewrote it. And finally I was up for a paper for the conference. And it was the winter 2019 conference, which was a terrible winter. Um, and for whatever reason, we meet on the worst possible 
Tuesday of February every year as a conference for circuits. We had to drive to the border of, 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 uh, of um, South Dakota to I, I, um, Pipestone, something way over there anyway. You could see, you know, the heads of Mount Rushmore practically from where we were. No, I'm just kidding. But, I, but it was way over there. Um, and when we, there were all 30 of us were there or so for the opening service, right? But then the weather reports started coming on. Guys were holding up their phones and were worried about the weather as the snows were blowing and so forth. And uh, before we got through the first paper, you, there are always three papers at a conference. Before we got through the first paper of the 30, about 10 had gone, had left, um, including our staff ministers and another, one of our pastors. And, and then by the time we got through the second paper and had lunch, guys are saying, you know, I, I really, I, gotta, I, I can't get stuck out here. I'm leaving too, sorry. And by the time I had the, two, the dreaded two o'clock slot from, for the, my paper, so it was the pastor of that church and his wife and the next door neighbor lady who made the lunch for us, and Pastor Sutton, who was my ride, and me, five of us, for me to deliver this paper. I'd worked on for 10 years on this, what I thought was this amazing grammatical study that will change preaching and teaching and our understanding of the Hebrew verb. You know, and um, I think the Lord needed me to work on my ego a little bit. Um, so there's even a theme song for that paper. Yeah. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, so, oh well. Maybe, maybe after I'm dead, somebody will rediscover that paper I wrote and maybe it will be something to somebody. But you really think so? I don't know. <laughs> an anniversary, an anniversary paper. It'll be the the fifth year of my of my crash. The eye is the lamp of the body. Now everything from here to the end of the chapter ties together. If you understand that Jesus is, in addition to talking to all, he is also talking to false teachers or about false teachers. If you keep that in mind, then this hangs together. Like, 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 like all of the clothespins on a clothesline. We're all, we're all hanging on the same thing here. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, and Luther translated bad here, um, if your eye is a villain, I love that translation, if your eye is a villain, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If the lens you look at through the world is the lens of a villain, if you are a bad, if you are a rotten apple yourself, then what's going to come out of you is going to be rotten as well. That's what we're saying here. Um, and especially to false teachers, although it's a warning to anybody. But if the way you look at the world, your eye is a villain or a devil, then all of you is a villain and you're the devil's slave. 
if you are no preacher, and, and you are no preacher of the gospel, this is Luther here, uh, even if you have a pulpit, if you preach prosperity just to get more offerings in the plate, you are against Christ. How many of us could name uh, 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 a, a false teacher who is maybe on TV in our, in the, I don't know, in the last 20 years or so. Do you remember back in the 80s and 90s when false teachers were, false ministers were crashing about once a month, it seemed like? What I'm thinking of, what, Falwell and, uh, uh, oh, I uh, didn't want to Oral Roberts kids. The Jim and Tammy Faye. And, and talking of uh, Jim, what was his name down in South America? Jim Jones. And they all committed suicide. And uh, when I was at SEM, David Koresh was the one in um, Waco, Texas. No, was it, was it Oklahoma or was it Texas? Waco, Texas. Where we came out of class that day. And the lunch lady said, go, go, to, go, go, to, go to your TVs. They wouldn't even listen to the lunchroom. We all went to the, to, the, to, the big, to the big screen TV in the student lounge and just down the hallway, and there it was. It was on fire. You know, the, 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 um, was it the National Guard, I think? Or whoever it was had, uh, had, had crashed in and the Koresh had started the fire and everything, and they all died and so forth. But it used to be, in the, boy, in the 80s, you could hardly, um, magazines in those days, were, you know, that's kind of before cable TV really got going. And so a lot of us were still reading magazines. And a lot of them were monthly, like People and, and, and those were monthlies. You could hardly pick up a magazine without a fallen preacher in those days. Us and People and whatever those weekly things or monthly things were. Yeah, if you preach prosperity just to get more offerings, you're against Christ. And some do not sacrifice doctrine for money. They sacrifice doctrine for, in some cases, political power or some kind of other local power. But also there is that ungodly thought that bigger numbers are the equivalent of success. Be careful of that one. That's... Prosperity gospel also wants to brag about how many people they have. How many thousands do we have in worship on Sunday? You know, I love it when we have a big packed church. Um, but I get nervous if we get too happy about it. Um, uh, bigger numbers are not the equivalent of success. Because if it is, then what's the reverse? Does that mean that if I don't have big numbers that God is rejecting my message somehow? That's a dangerous game to play. That, by the way, is Calvinism. That if I'm not successful, God must have turned on me. Yeah, exactly. No, and not at all. Yeah. And then you've got to ask, which doctrines would be easiest to sacrifice? Do we all have one doctrine we wish we wish we wish weren't there? Is there one doctrine that bugs? You know, because if there is, what would it mean to the way we look at the whole Bible if we were to sacrifice or change even one doctrine? Because you change one, and isn't that connected to something else? Yeah, 
when I was in, in high school, I had a friend, um, uh, my, 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 my friend, Dave the Weasel. Just tell you my, my name for my private name for him. Um, he was, was my best friend and I called him the Weasel. But uh, he wanted to argue. One day he thought he, he had all the answers, which, I, no, not one day, but this one day he thought he had all the re- answers to religion. He always had a new thing he was going to attack. And he thought he could talk me out of my faith. And so he came over to my house and I, I'm sorry uh, now that I didn't... Now, how many extra Bibles do I own? You know? I actually have a case in my garage of, of old Bibles. You know, that are just people have given me and stuff and they've kind of seen the elements. But I wish I would have had one of those. Because I, I, I could have... I, what I wanted to do was every time he came up with another doctrine he wanted to attack, I, I wanted to tear that page out of the Bible as he did that. Because what would be left in the end as you start doing that? And who actually did that? Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. You can see his Bible, he called it. You can find it in the, in the Smithsonian, I think, today. Or at, or at uh, what was, uh, not Mount Vernon, what was Jefferson's? Monticello. Do we have to say Monticello? Okay, okay. I grew up saying Monticello, but it's, it's, it is Monticello, isn't it? That's okay. Um, but uh, it might be there. But it was, a, it's a, I think it's a school notebook, the kind that they used in those days, with passages of the Bible cut out with the scissors and pasted in. He only put in what he thought belonged. And he ended up, uh, one of my professors told me that it's basically a watered-down version of Luke with none of the miracles. That's what he thought was the Bible. Nothing else. No prophecy, no Moses, no Paul, no Peter, no John, no one, two, three, four, you're done. None of that. Just, and, and of course, Jefferson wasn't a Christian. Um, I forgot if he was a, which one was he? Was he a, a deist or was he a Mason? Either way, he was not a Christian. Um, some of them were both, I think, but I don't, I don't know what he was. But, um, and today, I, I, I occasionally get comments, actually it's maybe once a week, on email or a phone call from somebody who doesn't, is not comfortable with something that we do or wishes we would do something different. And they often, and it's kind of funny because they often call when they know I'm not going to be in the office to leave me a, you know. You know, you know, you notice you waited until Saturday at 11.30 p.m. and something like that. Or, and, and, and they, I get something like, um, you know, my vote would be that we do this or that. Well, what's wrong with that? We don't get to vote on doctrines. You know, in fact, is voting at all scriptural? If, if we set aside casting lots, which is not really voting, it's more like rolling dice. That's what lots is. If we, if we set aside lots, I can only find two or three references to voting in the Bible, and it's usually voting whether or not someone dies. Like Paul casting his vote that Stephen should be killed. That kind of thing. Um, a, a democracy is not a biblical doctrine like we should follow that necessarily. And as far as our church policy, 
We could be, we could have anything for our, the way we do a, run a congregation. You know, we're, we're free to do whatever we want to. We happen to use a democratic method because uh, that's what is most popular in America. And it was the opposite of what was happening when the Kaiser tried to change the Lutheran church by force in the 1830s and 40s and drove the Prussians and the Saxons out of Germany and over to America. And they, 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 they found that here they could do things the way that they wanted to in congregations rather than be forced. Because in Germany, who owns the churches? The state. So the Kaiser said, my church, I get to pick what liturgy. So here I've written you a new liturgy, Lutherans. Now you'll have to get along with the, with the Calvinists. That's what he did. Um, and the Lutherans didn't do it. They fled. Um, and they got to America that way. But, um, but we don't vote on doctrine. A um, couple verses left here. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is an Aramaic term for worldly wealth or property, stuff like that. It's not really a false god. It's just property in Aramaic. Um, but this is following after that eye illustration. If your eye looks for money, then you're not looking to God. And you're going to end up, in the, in the end, hating God. You're going to be disappointed with God, and then you're going to be frustrated with God. You're going to end up hating God in the end. For this reason, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Now he gets to the followers. Now he gets to the flock. Don't worry about your life. Um, what you'll eat or drink or about your body or what you'll wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? If he takes care of the birds, he'll take care of you. Um, by the way, Remember, though, that we, serve, we, we live in two kingdoms on earth. There is the kingdom of the world, the state. And therefore, there are some people who have to worry about earthly things and life and income and tax. Who are those people? Well, governments and... What's the most thankless, thankless job in the world, I think? A, that's not a job. But, but uh, well, it is a job, but I mean, I was thinking of a school principal. Is, uh, is, he's often the most hated individual in a school, you know, or beloved or whatever, but he's got to make hard decisions. Um, and, uh, and I really, my heart goes out to our principals. Um, and they have to be worried about life and earthly things. And even just making those hard choices on, you know, snow day, at what time of day does a principal have to wake up to figure out if they're going to have a snow day or not? Yeah, he's got to be awake already by 4. So like 3, 3.30. Yeah, that guy. And, uh, and, but Luther says here we, we shouldn't tighten this text too much because of the two kingdoms. But for the most part, don't worry about your life. Which of you can add a single moment to his lifespan by worrying? Anybody remember the King James at this verse? 
goes back in time a little bit, but it was one cubit to his stature rather than a single moment to his lifespan. Why is that? Because the Greek text kind of, Jesus says kind of both. He says one cubit to his span of years. So my year should be measured in like, I don't know, weeks or months or whatever. And Jesus said you can't even add a cubit to that from here to here, you know, you, to your lifespan. So that, it's an interesting turn of phrase. And it can go either way. And Luther, if you ever read Luther on this verse, he has, a, he has a, one volume of Luther's works is just on the Sermon on the Mount. And um, Luther will say, you can't add a, a cubit, but Luther doesn't say to your height. In his culture, where was a healthy person bigger? Can't add a cubit to your waistline. Luther says, you know, <laughs> that would be a big you know, waistline in, increase, a cubit, you know. But, uh, but Luther says, you, you know, you, 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 by worrying, you're not going to do that. Um, why do you worry about clothing? Consider how li the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Our young people have no idea what spin means because they think it's, uh, you know, spinning. Um, but I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was dressed like one of these. I know that was a rose and not a lily. Okay. If that is how God clothes grass, clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace or becomes hay or whatever, will he not clothe you even more, you a little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or drink or what will we wear? For the unbelievers chase after these things. Certainly your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things. If everybody on my street is praying for something and I forget to because I'm praying about needing a new transmission or whatever it is I'm going to pray about, does God still know that I need the other things too? Sure, sure. But seek first, this is our last verse, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Anybody have that as their confirmation passage? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I, don't, I think it's been the class verse a few times, but I'm not sure about confirmation passage. But Jesus finishes the chapter here with, so do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is marvelous and gentle and thorough here and teaches us to give up worrying. He'll take care of us. He's an amazing Savior, isn't he? You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.